You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. everybody and welcome to episode 68 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I am your host Shauna Smith and today we're talking all about worms. It reminds me of that movie Dumb and Dumber where Lloyd Christmas just exclaims out of nowhere, I got worms and worms are a good thing. Worms are a good thing to have in your garden anyway. They are like a canary in a coal mine. They're a really good indicator of the overall health of your garden soil. So you want them, even if you're not into creepy crawly things, they're good things to have. And I'm gonna talk about all the reasons why you want them, how they indicate the health of your garden soil, the great things that they do for your plants, how you can attract them to your garden and how you can keep them in your garden. So I'm going to be talking all about that in today's episode, but first a word from our sponsor. So like I said in the introduction, worms are incredibly important. And I want to start this episode by talking about first what worms do for your garden, why they're so important. So essentially, if you didn't know this already, garden worms help break down the organic matter in your soil. Organic matter in your soil, you know, whether that is plant matter from like the seasons gone by, whether that is mulch, whether that is compost, whether that is manure, all of that organic matter is broken down by bacteria and fungus that's in the soil, of course. But larger organisms in the soil, like worms, also really help to break down that organic matter. They consume it, and then they excrete it. And I know it's not a lovely thing to talk about, but get on board the idea of worm poop being a good thing, because that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about worm poop, also known as worm castings. Worm castings are like if you took everything useful out of the organic matter in the soil that those worms churn through, that's exactly what worm castings are. Is It's all the useful nutrients, and they leave that behind for your plants to take up. So it's almost like worms sort of like pre-digest these nutrients for your plants. Because like, yes, you know, maybe... The plants could eventually take up those nutrients in the soil, um, but it would take a lot more time because they need to be broken down first for them to be made more available um, and more simple in a way that, you know, the plants can take them up. And so worm castings are like an ideal fertilizer for your garden. You can even buy worm castings, um, you know, at your local hardware store. You can buy them on Amazon. I have a link to... Um, the worm castings that I really like in the sister post for this episode, which you can find in the show notes. As always, worm castings are something that I use to 
fertilize my seedlings. There's something that I use to get my seedling transplants off to a good start when I put them out in the garden. There's something that I use to kind of like kick my, like let's say brassicas, my my broccoli, my Brussels sprouts, my cauliflower. Um, there's something that I use to kind of fertilize those plants with to kick them into high gear when the weather starts warming up and they're not maturing as quickly as I would like them to. So worm castings are really, really great fertilizer. And they don't smell at all. They just smell like dirt. So even though, yes, it's worm poop, technically, they, they don't smell. It's not something that you have to be afraid of. It's something that you can handle with your bare hands. But, you know, having worms in your garden, you don't have to buy worm castings. You might still need to. But then you have worms kind of creating worm castings naturally in your garden all the time if you have lots of really good worm activity. But worms do more than churn through organic matter and make nutrients more available for your plants. They also make tunnels in the soil. And these tunnels provide roots with a place to grow into more easily than kind of having to grow into compacted soil. The tunnels also help aerate the soil, essentially allowing oxygen to get to the roots of your plants. And if you didn't know, your plants' roots actually need to breathe. They need air. That's why like when you have days and days and days of rain in a row, the soil gets oversaturated and the plant can die. It's because the roots get no oxygen and, and the plant essentially drowns. So those worm tunnels, you know, they help allow oxygen to get to the roots of your plants. And then related to their tunneling, earthworms break up compacted soil. They create what's known as friable, but in, in layman's terms, it's, you know, just crumbly. It's easy to work soil. That's easier for roots to break through. So now that you know that they do all these great things for your garden, let's talk about how to determine the worm activity in your garden. So you can actually do a quick little experiment to estimate the worm activity and even kind of rough estimate the number of worms in your garden if you want to. Worms are most active in spring and in fall, kind of like those shoulder seasons where the weather is just perfect. And that's for a really good reason. Worms need pretty mild temperatures. Um, they need things that are a little bit on the cool side. They don't like a whole lot of heat. And then they need a decent amount of moisture so that they don't, you know, dry out. So, Spring and fall are going to be the times where they're the most active, they're the closest to the soil surface, and you're probably going to be finding them a lot more often than you would in, say, you know, summer or winter. So those are going to be the optimal times to kind of test for worm activity in your garden. In the summer and the wintertime, worms have a tendency to burrow much, much deeper into the soil, kind of in an effort to stay cool and moist. You know, if they're too close to the surface in the summertime, things can get really hot and dry, which is bad for worms. 
on the opposite end of that spectrum, in the wintertime, things can get too cold and freezing and also dry. So that's why they it's not such a great idea to try and test for worm activity. Um, they may be too far down, burrowed too far down to really get a good sense of the number of worms or the amount of worms in your garden. So you want to do this test in spring or fall. And essentially what you do is mark off a square foot in your garden and you're going to sort of just dig into that square foot and count how many worms you find in that square foot. Um, I do recommend kind of doing this carefully, doing this with like your hands if you can. If you can't do that, do it with a pitchfork just so that you're a little less likely to cut any worms in half or kill any worms like with a shovel or something like that. It's, It's a really common myth that if you cut a worm in half, it will create two worms. It's not true. Uh, If you cut a worm in half, it'll die just like any other, just about any other organism that you cut in half anyway. So we really want to be careful when we're working the soil in the garden to not kill the worms that we have working for us there in the soil. So if you're not able to dig down all the way down to your garden bed, let's say some soil has gotten a little bit compacted, I have a link to an article from Michigan State University Extension that has kind of something that you can do further to get a little bit more accurate estimate of how many worms are in that square foot of soil that you've identified. Basically what it is is worms don't like mustard powder and you mix up some mustard powder with some water following the ratios that they have for this this experiment which I've linked to in the sister post and you know you pour that over the soil once you can't dig down any further and um, within five to ten minutes the the worms will surface they'll come to the surface and you'll be able to count them so whatever you dig up and then whatever surfaces you know if you choose to go that far with with the experiment so you count the number of worms that you have and then you multiply that by the number of square feet in your garden so like I have a garden that is 200 and I want to say 240 square feet so if I found 20 worms in a single square foot and I multiply that by 240 square feet, I would have, you know, a decent estimate of the number of worms in my garden. Is this going to give you an exact count of the worms in your garden? No, but it's going to give you an idea of the worm activity and therefore an overall sense of the health of your soil. Obviously, the more worms you have, the healthier and the more rich and organic matter your soil is going to be. There's no magic number for, you know, how many worms you should find per square feet in your soil to know that it's that it's optimal. Just know that if you're not finding a whole lot, you know, that that's not great. And and I will have some numbers here in a little bit that I'll be able to kind of point to that'll give you an idea of of what you should kind of be hoping to find. So now that you know how to figure out, you know, the worm activity in your garden, let's talk about how to keep those worms in your garden. 
If you're lucky enough to naturally have lots of worms in your soil when you start your garden, that's fantastic. You're going to want to do the following things to make sure that they that they want to stick around. Because just like any other living being, you know, worms like optimal conditions to live in. One of the things that is really going to affect whether or not they stay or they go is how often their homes are destroyed. So we don't really think about worms kind of like having a home, but they do. They have tunnel systems and they have burrows and they don't like it just like any other organism wouldn't when their home is disturbed or destroyed. So we want to try to avoid tilling, otherwise, you know, known as like turning the soil, disturbing the soil as much as possible in your garden. I know a lot of gardeners kind of brought up in the time where tilling every year, tilling every garden bed, you know, every vegetable bed every year was was the norm. But we know now from our research in soil science that tilling the bed every year is is often unnecessary, and it's actually proven to decrease worm populations. So I linked to an article from Purdue University Extension in the blog post, in the sister post for this episode, that shows when comparing a plowed cornfield, you know, a field that's been tilled, to a no-till cornfield, the worm activity was double in the no-till field than in the plow field, which is kind of crazy. So they found... 10 worms per square foot in the plowed field, in the plowed cornfield. They found 20 worms per square foot in the no-till cornfield. So like I said earlier, when I talk about there's no really magic number for knowing, you know, how many worms you should be able to find in your garden to know if it's optimally healthy, I would say, you know what, if, if you've got 20 worms per square foot in your garden, that's pretty great. And you're going to up your chances of that if you aren't tilling your soil constantly, if you're not working it constantly. Now, I will say there is a caveat in that some garden beds, vegetable beds, require a lot of digging, like a potato bed. You really have to get in there and dig for those tubers when it's time to harvest. If you do, you know, have to dig, if you have a bed or multiple beds where you have to dig that much, Use tools that are less likely, like I said earlier, to cut or kill the worms in the soil. Use, you know, your hands. If you can't get in there with your hands, if the soil is too crusty and dry, use a pitchfork so you kind of, you have those tines to kind of dig into the soil and lift it up. And that's going to be a lot less likely to harm any worms than like the straight blade of a shovel. Another thing you want to do to help keep your worm population happy in your garden is avoid pesticides. Pesticides are a pretty modern invention, at least chemical pesticides. I mean, there are, you know, natural pesticides that people, cultures have been using for hundreds of years. But chemical pesticides are are pretty modern, and they are poisons that are meant to kill specific, you know, bugs that damage your crops. But unfortunately, pesticides often harm more than just one type of bug because, you know, in nature, there's there's no such thing as good bugs and bad bugs. There's just bugs. And a lot of times, you know, when you apply something that is known as a broad spectrum pesticide, that means that the the number of different insects it will kill is 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 pretty vast. 
Worms are soft-bodied creatures, and they're very susceptible to poisons for that reason. So a lot of times the harder shelled an insect is, the harder it can be to kill with pesticides. But because worms don't have that sort of exoskeleton, it's, it's really easy for them to be affected by pesticides, by poisons. So even if the pesticide you apply doesn't outright kill the worms in your garden, it can definitely make the soil more toxic and less pleasant for them to live in. And if this is the case, worms will do what they can to migrate to friendlier locations. Worms actually will migrate. That is something that science has kind of, some research has shown that when they emerge onto sidewalks after it rains. There were a few different theories. One theory was that, oh, their burrows get flooded and that they would drown if they if they didn't leave their burrows. But worms can actually survive underwater for several days. So now they think that worms actually emerge for a couple different reasons. And one of them is that with the soil being so moist on the surface and sidewalks being moist because of the rain, they're able to migrate and cover a lot more distance a lot quicker than than they normally would. And so then when you have the sidewalks drying out, that is when, you know, the worms can't move as quickly and they get kind of they get kind of stranded because then the dry concrete starts to abrade their skin and um and, and it becomes painful for them to try and crawl on the surface at that point. So just in case you're wondering why worms do that when it rains and you're the sort of person who saves worms from sidewalks after a rain, like that's what they're trying to do, they're trying to migrate. And they will migrate if the soil in your garden is, is not optimal because of the fact that, you know, you're using pesticides and, it, and it's irritating their systems. Along those same lines, you want to avoid chemical fertilizers and use organic fertilizers instead. So I've talked about a little about this before. Feeding your plants with chemical fertilizers and only chemical fertilizers is kind of like feeding your plants with vitamin pills. Like on the surface, it might seem like you're giving the plants everything they need to survive, but they and all the other organisms living in the soil that keep the soil healthy need much more than just nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Um, and that includes worms. There are a ton of micronutrients that are needed. There are a ton of you know beneficial relationships with bacteria and fungi that plants benefit from. And just like they benefit from the relationships with bacteria and fungus, they also benefit from the existence of worms. So when we use organic fertilizer instead of chemical fertilizer, we make sure that there's a lot of organic matter there, a lot of food for them to break down, lots of plant matter, lots of fiber, lots of nutrients, and they break it all down, like I said, into a simplified format that's easier for plants to use. If there's no food there, if there's no organic matter for them to break down, the worms are going to pack up and leave town. So do your best to try and, and make sure, if you're wanting to make sure that to keep your worm population healthy and keep your soil healthy, to use organic fertilizer instead of, or, of chemical fertilizers, or at the very least, supplement your use of chemical fertilizers with a pretty good dose, um, a big, you know, heaping dose of organic fertilizer, like compost, like composted manure. And you're going to make sure that you're, that you're keeping not just your plants happy, but the organisms that live in the soil happy. The other thing that you can do to keep your worm population happy is to keep your soil mulched year round. So 
We all know that you should mulch your vegetable garden and around your plants to keep the soil from getting too hot or too dry and hurting the root system of your plants. But mulch actually helps keep the worms happy too. Because like I said, worms need cool, moist conditions to thrive and mulch helps keep your garden soil the perfect place to live. Mulch is also another form of organic matter that will break down over time and feed the worms. And I mentioned it before, but I'll repeat it here just in case you didn't hear whatever episode where I talked about it. But straw is my favorite kind of mulch because it breaks down easily and it has great insulating properties from both heat and cold. So I definitely recommend straw and getting you know straw that's as seed free as possible so that you don't have random shocks of barley um, popping up in your vegetable bed and if you're tempted to remove your mulch or let it get too thin over the winter don't this is something i used to do and i don't do it anymore Worms need mulch for shelter in late fall and early spring when they're the most active in the top levels of the soil. So like in late fall when it starts to get really cold and then in early spring before, you know, it's really warmed up a whole lot or even in late spring when it has started to warm up. Mulch actually, you know, kind of extends the amount of time that they can stay in those shallow levels of soil and kind of churn through all that organic matter and leave behind worm castings that'll, that'll help your plants along. So we talked about how to see how many worms are in your garden, roughly, and we talked about how to keep those worms in your garden. But what if you're worried about the worm activity in your garden because you did a test and you're like, oh, I only found like two worms in this square foot plot. I'm really kind of worried about it. Or like, let's say you've just built a bunch of raised beds and you filled them with soil. And so there's no worms in them. You can always introduce worms into your garden yourself. There is nothing anywhere that says you're not allowed to do that. And it's actually really easy to get worms. You have, that sounds so horrible. Um, Okay, let me put it a different way. It's actually really easy to buy worms. How about that? You have a few different options when it comes to introducing worms into your garden. And you don't have to buy them. One, One thing that you can do is add lots of organic matter. If you don't have a ton of organic matter, let's say you've done like a soil test and the results come back and say you don't have a ton of organic matter. That's another good reason to do a soil test is because they can tell you what percentage of your soil is organic matter. And if that comes back really low, you'll want to add a bunch of compost and manure and then wait for the worms to migrate there naturally. If the beds, if you did raised beds and they don't have solid bottoms, like a horse trough or something like that. Worms will eventually find their way there. You know, they'll burrow from deeper underneath and they'll they'll emerge up into your beds because rich soil is like a magnet for earthworms. They are constantly seeking it out. But it's good to know that it can take a year or more for worms to kind of naturally migrate into your garden beds. So If you don't want to wait that long, or if you have raised beds that do have solid bottoms, like a horse trough, you have a couple different options. A free option would be to find worms in your yard while landscaping um, and relocate them to your garden beds. I do this pretty much any time we are working in our yard. 
It takes me longer to get anything done, which is kind of frustrating to Mr. B if it's a project we're working on together because I'll get like a handful of worms and I'll be like, I'll be right back. And I'll go dump them in a raised bed. And he kind of just like sighs and rolls his eyes and he waits for me to come back because he's a good husband. But, you know, that that's something that we do. And I've actually been able to increase the population in my raised beds um, really easily and for free that way. The other option is to purchase earthworms and set them free in your garden beds. You can buy worms in a lot of places, including Amazon, but one of the cheapest places to get them is going to be a bait shop. You know, they sell night crawlers all the time for for fishermen. You can see them, you can open them up, you can see that they're healthy, that they're alive, and that's just something, frankly, that you can't do on Amazon. So it's really kind of nice. Um, but on Amazon, you can actually buy worm cocoons. So they're not going to be live worms like you would get in a bait shop. They're cocoons of worm eggs and you bury them in your soil and they hatch and you get, you know, hundreds of worms that way out of these tiny little cocoons. So just kind of know that what that's what you should expect if you do, you know, order worms off of someplace like Amazon is you won't get live worms most of the time. I don't think anyway, you'll get worm cocoons. You just want to make sure that you're buying night crawlers or what's called red wigglers or red worms. It is important, you know, while you are doing all this work with worms to watch out for a certain set of worms. So it's really weird for us to imagine, especially in the U.S., because we are so accustomed to seeing earthworms and night crawlers. But Earthworms are actually non-native to a lot of North America. They really didn't exist here until after the last ice age for a lot of different reasons. Most of it is because with all of the, the glaciers, you know, forming and then receding and then depositing, you know, layer upon layer of really rich soil that attracted worms over hundreds and thousands of years, even though they're non-native, they're generally good for your yard and your garden, but there's one type of worm that is not, and it's known as a jumping worm. They're considered an invasive species for a few different reasons, one of which is that they blaze through the leaves and the detritus on, on forest floors, so leaf litter and things like that, stuff that would normally lie around for years decomposing, feeding the low-light plants that grow you know, underneath the trees and break down and feed the trees themselves. So the jumping worms, they they. They feed and they blaze through all that and they move so fast that they don't really leave much behind in terms of worm castings. You would think that they eat all that food and then they leave a bunch of worm poop behind and that would fertilize everything. But the stuff that they do leave behind gets taken up pretty fast and much faster than that leaf litter and stuff like that would have broken down. So they, the plants in the forest, you know, might get like supercharged in the short term because of the worm castings left behind by these jumping worms. But then after that, they kind of end up being malnourished because they just had too much food all at once and then don't have anything left. So you want to familiarize yourself with what those jumping worms look like. I have a link to that, to jumping worms, an article about them with pictures about what they look like, their appearance, um, and just make sure that you're not buying a pack of them and introducing them to your garden. There are actually, I think, 
pretty decent amount of laws around them because they are an invasive species. But these days, it kind of feels like you never know what you're getting when you order stuff online. So it's it's good to watch out for and it's good to ask questions if a seller is not being like really upfront about what kind of worms they are. It's really good to ask those questions because you could end up doing more damage than good in your vegetable garden and then and then in your local ecosystem. So crazy weird little fact, but yeah, not all worms are great for your garden. So it's good to know the difference between those. So that is it for today for the importance of garden worms, what they do for your garden, how to attract them, how to kind of estimate how many are in your garden. And then if you don't have enough worms, you know, how to introduce them into your garden. So if you're not a creepy crawly person, if you're not really comfortable with handling worms, I totally get it. Some people are just squeamish about that. I'm not judging you for it. There's no garden police that are going to come judge you for it. You can love gardening and still be a little bit freaked out by, you know, worms and insects and stuff like that. That's really, that's really natural. You don't have to feel bad for it. Um, If you need to, you can always put on a pair of gardening gloves to handle your worms It's not a bad thing. Nobody's going to come make fun of you for it. So I do encourage you, though, to treat them with care and do your best to, you know, make sure that you have a good worm population in your garden because it's really going to do, you know, your plants and your harvests a whole lot of good in the long run. In the next episode... I am going to be talking all about fall garden chores. I know that just the word chores has a tendency to like make us all roll our eyes, but fall garden chores are something that I actually really enjoy because this time of year, it's it's so beautiful to be outside and you want to spend some time outside as much time as possible outside. And it's just so refreshing, even though the the stuff that you're doing isn't necessarily, quote unquote, fun, it's at least enjoyable with the weather. And it's honestly going to make next year's gardening season a lot more productive. It's going to start it off in a lot healthier place. So I'm going to be talking all about the chores that you should be doing between, you know, now and let's say the end of November when we have really hard frosts setting in to get those fall garden chores done. So thank you so very much for listening. As always, I feel like I haven't asked in a little while. So if you would not mind, for those of you who have not rated the podcast, if you're really enjoying it, if you're finding it helpful and useful and entertaining, I would love if you could pop on over to your podcatcher of choice, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. And, you know, if all you have time to do is just click five stars or four stars, or hopefully it's not any fewer stars than that. If it is, please let me know um, what, what you would like me to do differently. But if you, you know, if that's all you have time for is to just click the number of stars you feel like the podcast is worth, that's great. If you want to take a little extra time and just speak to exactly what it is about the podcast that you find so helpful or engaging, you know, that is also very, very appreciated. Again, what that does is it it just helps Apple and Google and Spotify know that, you know, the listeners find this podcast informative and helpful. And so it helps them know, you know, 
whether to recommend it to people. So it helps other people find it a little bit easier. And it also finds the people who do come across it naturally. You know, we all are used to shopping online these days. And so we all give a lot of credence to reviews. And so it just helps people know that even if they haven't listened to it yet, that the podcast is going to be worth their time. So if you have time, Thank you very much in advance for going over and just reviewing really quick. I really appreciate it. And on that note, I hope you're having a lovely fall. I hope it's absolutely amazing. It's been beautiful here. And I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.